Fantastic. Well, we're, we're at the, uh, the, last, the last part of our uh, series, Cautionary Tales. Oh, I've really enjoyed this. You know, we, we all hear lots of preaching about David and, and uh, Peter and, and these guys, but we, we don't often talk about those guys who don't make it, who don't get through to the other side. And the Bible has many great examples for us to follow, but it also has many people who, who don't who don't fulfill their potential, and actually there are some powerful lessons for us to learn from them. Now, for all of us, we tend to find that we learn most powerfully off our own mistakes. Wouldn't it be the dream if we could actually learn off other people's mistakes? All the gain, none of the pain. That's what we should be doing. And so today we're going to look at a a guy in the Bible called Absalom. But before we do that, let me ask you this. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I'm going to give you 20 seconds, turn to the person next to you and tell them what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given, go. Or at least one great piece of advice you've been given, go. Talk to the person next to you. Okay. Hopefully you've all just gained something out today already and look, if the sermon's rubbish, you've already got something to go away with. How good is that? Now, let me tell you the best piece of advice I've ever received. Someone once told me, never apply to a confrontational email within 24 hours. <laughs> Anyone ever heard that before? Boy, that's a, that's a lifesaver. You know what? 90% of the time, maybe even 95% if I'm feeling generous, I, ad- I adhere to that. I stick to that. Someone will send a, a confrontational email. And these days, that also includes Facebook rants, Instagram posts that, that wind you up, all that kind of stuff. And most of the time I go, you know what, Griff, you need to push pause on this. And I do it, and it's awesome. But when I don't, <laughs> it's a world of pain. And it's so funny. It's so funny. You know, I can, I, can, I can go, no, this is the time when that rule doesn't apply because it's so clear cut. They are so clearly in the wrong. They so clearly need me to respond. I think the Lord is telling me I need to respond. And then we fire it off. And you know what happens? As soon as you hit send, it's like a little pop-up box in, in my brain goes, you are an idiot. What is up with that? Did you know that there is now a way you can unsend the email you should never have sent? Yeah, I know. Google have got it. Google have got this thing now. On, if you've got a Google Mail account, it's got this little box at the bottom and it says unsend. What it really says is you probably should not have sent that email. And if you do it quickly, you can unsend it. And it will suck it back out of the ether. And I don't know how long you got, like, but I have actually tried it. I sent a nasty email to myself. And then I unsent it, and it never came through. For some of you, for some of you, that's the best thing you've ever heard. You are welcome. (laughs) So today we're going to look at a guy called Absalom, and we're going to take some advice from him. Let's take a look at Absalom. 2 Samuel 14, you've got this in your notes this morning. In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and its weight was about 200 shekels by the royal standard. Now, this is fascinating. I'm interested in how much it actually weighed. But what's interesting is that the first thing we know about Absalom, this isn't the first thing we know about Absalom, but this is what most of us remember most about Absalom. He was a guy who undermined uh, the king, his father, David. He's a, he's a guy who betrayed him. Uh, he's a guy who, who, who died as a result. But, and so 
we, we kind of connect this all on and we say, oh, he was really good looking, he could have been a model, so he must have been prideful and arrogant. But I tell you why it's interesting, because when we actually first meet Absalom, we don't see that at all. We find a guy who is quite the, op- the opposite. Now, Absalom was second in line for the throne. The eldest son was a guy called Amnon. There was actually another brother born uh, called Kiliab, but we never read anything about him in the scriptures, and commentators, uh, they, commentators assume he must have died as a child. And so then comes Absalom. Now, Absalom first comes to prominence in the scriptures in relation to his sister Tamar and his half-brother Amnon, who is the heir apparent. Now, this is a pretty rugged story. There are some rugged stories in the Bible, and this is one of them. So Amnon, the heir apparent, falls in love with his sister, and he wants to sleep with her. And so with, with help from his cousin, he deceives her, lures her into his bedroom, and ignoring her protests and her reasonings, and you've got to understand, Tamar did everything right. He goes ahead and rapes her anyway, and then he throws her out of his house. And it is, honestly, it's a disturbing and horrifying story. And this is where Absalom steps in. 2 Samuel 13, verses 19 and onwards. Tamar put ashes on her head, which was a sign for for mourning, and tore the all-night robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head, and she went away weeping aloud as she went. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman, verse 22. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because uh, he had disgraced his sister Tamar. So, So Absalom finds his distraught sister Tamar. He takes her into his house, which is not the usual thing. Normally, she would go back to the father's house, back to the king's house, back to the palace. But what, but what Absalom does, he takes it into his house because he loves his sister. In fact, uh, he provides for her, and we later find that Absalom even names his daughter, Tamar, uh, in honor of his sister who was raped. Now, this is intriguing. Four things we learn about Absalom from the beginning. Number one, Absalom cares. Like, he really cares. Like, he He didn't need to take her into his home. That was not the normal thing to be done, but he does. He loves her deeply. He feels her pain. Amnon, by contrast, cares only about himself. Second thing we learn about Absalom, he hates injustice. Amnon had broken the law. He'd broken the law of Moses. He had basically repeated the sin of David, their father, that saw such devastation in their nation and was now reaping the similar devastation in their family. This had to be addressed. But Amnon, he couldn't care less. Thirdly, we, read, we find out that Absalom is actually a smart man. He knew David would, would, would kind of do nothing. Uh, no doubt caught up in his own feelings of guilt and a whole bunch of other things that were going on, even though David had been down the same track. And David the king should have stepped in and brought justice on Amnon, even though he was the heir apparent. Absalom also rightly reasoned, uh, we can assume, that if he tried to address Amnon himself, he probably would have been murdered. There are so many stories in the kings of Israel when one brother tries to stand up against another and the heir apparent will just slaughter everybody. It's pretty rugged stuff. And then fourthly, we find out that Absalom is extremely self-controlled. When Amnon had no self-control, Absalom has extraordinary self-control, and he never lets his emotions spill out towards Amnon 
over that period of time. Now, this is all really good character stuff. You know, a guy who's, who cares deeply, who hates injustice, uh, he's smart, he's self-controlled. Um, this on top of the fact that he's, he's a good-looking guy, he's adored by his father, he's politically very astute, as we see throughout the story. What potential. What a king Absalom might have made. But Absalom, in the face of bad things that happened to him, fails to make some crucial decisions. And these failures led him down a path that meant that he lost all of the potential that he once had. Here's the thought today. Nothing will ruin your potential more than getting caught up focusing on the wrong things. Nothing will ruin your potential more than focusing on the wrong things. Let me go back to the story, and then we'll dig a little bit more into some of the things that it appears were going on in Absalom's life that I'm convinced led to his downfall. So after two years of planning and waiting, Absalom organizes Amnon's murder, then flees the country, just in case David decided to to uh, get all righteous again and, and deal with that. David has lost Amnon, his son, who's been murdered. He now loses his second son, who is now the heir apparent, Absalom, to this other nation. Uh, David is grief-stricken, we read. He loves Absalom dearly, but he does nothing about it. After three years in exile uh, through David's army commander, Joab, Absalom is invited back to the kingdom. Abs uh, Joab knows how much David is grieving, and he, and he organizes it and orchestrates it to get Absalom back. But then when he comes back, David inexplicably refuses to see him. He will not meet Absalom face to face. And now the returning prince faces a very national rejection. After he's been home for two years, Absalom takes action. He, uh, he orchestrates it so that he gets to see David. He gets a sort of a public pardon from David. And then what happens is he starts playing political games. He starts winning the favor of the people and undermining David the king. And then he finally orchestrates a coup. Uh, David flees the palace. Absalom moves into the palace. And now we're starting to see the terrible breakdown of Absalom's wisdom and, and, and his self-control and these things. Absalom then goes into the palace. He then rapes the concubines of David that were left behind, which was unbelievably, uh, I mean, apart from being unbelievably wrong, was also unbelievably dishonoring towards the king. And then there is a war basically all out between Absalom's men and David's men. Meanwhile, what's David's command to his generals? Don't harm my son, Absalom. I mean, Absalom is just trying to kill him. He's just trying to kill him and take everything. But David so loves his son. He's like, just whatever happens, please don't harm Absalom. And then in a very strange turn of events, we'll look at a little later, Absalom is caught and killed. This is such a fascinating story. What happened to the incredible potential that this man had? It's like, it's like all of my school reports. Has potential to do better. Absalom had incredible potential, but somewhere along the line, he, he, he squandered all of that potential and ended up literally being a nightmare to the kingdom. Absalom had every advantage. I mean, he was a royal prince. He was good-looking and talented. And the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. God was watching over the nation under the reign of this family. But then bad things happened, and Absalom did not respond in the way that God would have had him respond. And isn't life like that? 
You know, you know, you can have somebody who has bad things happen to them, but they make great decisions through it and become an inspiration to everybody. You can have a, another person who faces the same bad circumstances, but instead makes bad decisions and becomes a cautionary tale. So what happened to Absalom? I think that there are at least three decisions that Absalom failed to make that led him down this pathway of losing everything. I think three things that he ended up inadvertently getting stuck on and focusing on, three emotions that in essence hijacked his life, and because he couldn't move on from those things, they led him down a path that took him to a place of sin. And these three things can all happen to us. In fact, have happened to all of us. And so there are some powerful lessons for us today. Let's dig into it. Absalom failed to deal with, number one, grief. He failed to deal with grief in his life. So, so his sister Tamar is right. It's like he has got to be going, how did God let this happen? How did God let this happen to my sister? Because her life was within that culture was now ruined. She could, no one would marry her. She, she, she was in this terrible place. Her hope was lost. Her future prospects were taken away. And not only was she devastated, but it, we, we see how much this impacted Absalom. He was devastated for her. He not only had to deal with his grief, but because he took Tamar into his home, every day for two years, when he comes home, he is confronted again by this grief. Now, this is interesting. Scripture says in 2 Samuel that Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. What does that mean? A desolate woman. Now, the Hebrew for desolate is shamem. Shamem. It means to be stunned or appalled or deserted. Now, this is a very interesting word because what it tells us is that she lived like this. It tells us that uh, Tamar lived in a state of ongoing grief. She lived stunned. She couldn't believe what had happened. She lived appalled. She lived desolate. She lived in a perpetual state of grief. Now, grief occurs, as we all know, anytime we lose something. Or we interpret our circumstances so that we lose something. Now, that can be a, a loved one. It can be an opportunity. It can be a job. It, it can be a dream that we've had for a long time. Whenever we lose something, we go through grief. And here's the interesting thing. What you focus on, you feel. The more Absalom focused on the grief that was in his home, the more he felt the pain of grief. And psychotherapist Chloe Madanis says that grief causes pain Pain causes hurt, and hurt causes anger. And we see what happens with Absalom faced daily with this grief that he can't seem to shift his focus on that leads him down a pathway. And it's the same for us. If we carry grief unresolved in our lives, if we constantly find ourselves caught up in, in, in focusing on what we've lost, I'm telling you it's only a matter of time till that pain becomes hurt, which becomes anger. And anger is such a negative emotion in our lives. I have a friend of mine uh, who many years ago found out that she couldn't have kids. Um, and they, with her husband explored every option. And despite going through the, the, the grief stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, she always found herself coming back and focusing on 
this sense of incredible loss that she had. And so the more she'd come back and focus on it again, she'd go back around the cycle again. And then she'd come back and she couldn't move on from it. And she just seemed to be fixated by it. And it would always come up in her conversation. And round and round she would go. She had so much to live for. That was the, the crazy thing. She had so much talent. She, they were a young couple. They had so many things out in front of them. But because she wouldn't f- shift her focus off her pain, what happened was she lived in a perpetual state, low level, but a perpetual state of anger, anger at God, anger at the world. It was a tragic thing. It was like, it was like she went and watched a movie and it was a horrible movie and then she went back every day and watched the movie again. Like, why would you do that? And yet we all do. It's so easy when we come into a place of grief to not let it go and to keep revisiting it. And then we go through the, 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 the anger, the grief cycle again, and then we see it again. And the more we do that, we can find ourselves living in a place of anger, and anger always leads to something else. Absalom got stuck in his grief. The second thing that he failed to move on from was the emotion of injustice. There was no justice for his sister. There should have been justice for his sister, but there was no justice. It says that that David the king was furious, but then he did nothing about it. He didn't take action in any way. How how did Amnon do this and get away with it? I'm sure that was the question that Absalom must have asked himself. How does this happen? How do we have a king? How does this happen? We have the law. How does this happen? How does this continue <coughs> excuse me, without justice? And the more Absalom focused on that injustice, thanks, baby, the more he focused on that injustice over that two years, the more he felt the pain of that injustice. And then instead of finding legitimate ways to get justice, his pain became anger, his anger became hatred, his hatred became murder. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, the judgment of God. Jesus then says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister shall be subject to the same judgment. Why? Because it's all connected. What you focus on creates your emotional state. And if you are carrying and focusing on injustice, then that will lead you to a place where your heart gets corrupted by sin. I, I knew a guy many years ago who was a tradie, very, very talented in what he did. Uh, and one night he had his work vehicle with all of his tools in stolen. And through a technicality, the insurance company wouldn't pay out. And he felt that the police didn't do all that they could. Now, what was so interesting about this is that he just came to a place of going, this is not just. He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he got to a point where he could, didn't feel he could pursue any more avenues, but he never let that sense of injustice go. And you know, it was the weirdest thing. To my knowledge, he never worked a full-time job again in his life. Isn't that bizarre? It was like, and, and, and whenever you, you talk about what he's doing and what he's not doing, it would just come up again and again. His anger about this injustice, this thing that happened to him like 20 years ago, but he never let it go. And as a result, in church, he was always one of those guys who was just a little bit bitter, just a little bit twisted about this thing that had been done to him all this time ago. You know, by all means, we need to go for justice, but we need to hand the emotion of injustice over to him 
who will ultimately bring justice for every unjust situation. There are some wrongs that in this life only God can make right. I love in 1 Peter 2.23 about Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges just, justly. We have to deal with our injustices in our lives. If we fail to deal with our injustices, they will lead us to dark places. The third thing that happened to Absalom that he never dealt with, he failed to, to shift his focus from this, was rejection. You know, after avenging his sister, after doing what he had then convinced himself was the only just thing to do, and then when he finally came back home to his father, at his father's belated request, what he found instead of welcome was complete rejection. Now, this is the thing. For David, I mean, for Absalom, it must have felt like David preferred his rapist brother over him. And the tragedy is, is that David absolutely adored Absalom. We read it in multiple places. In one of them, 2 Samuel 14, verse 1, it says, the king's heart longed for Absalom. And yet Absalom dealt with rejection, and he didn't seem to be able to let it go. The problem was that actually, you know what? Most times rejection has got way more to do with the person rejecting than it does the person who's being rejected. The problem with David is that he had issues going on within himself that meant that I'm sure he couldn't face his son emotionally. I think that David knew he had totally let Absalom down. I think that for him to see Absalom was actually to come face to face with his own guilt. You see, it was his adultery and then murder that brought God's judgment on, on the kingship, on David's leadership, and then the nation. It also removed the divine blessing that was on his family, and the consequences of being worked out exactly as the prophet Nathan had prophesied. Not only that, his failure to act against Amnon, which indirectly led to Absalom committing murder, meant that now Absalom, even though he was heir apparent, could not be king. Because David was carrying a promise from God that his son would build the temple, but only a man without blood on his hands could build the temple. And so Absalom was now disqualified. And how was he going to tell that to his son? Because of what he has done. And then, of course, his failure to deal with his issues, his failure to bring Absalom back after three years, must have sent an incredibly confusing message to the son that he loved so much. Let me ask you this. How many times do our sons and daughters, how many times do our kids feel rejected, not because of our lack of love or affection towards them, but because of our own regret and our own despair? How many times is our felt rejection nothing to do with us and everything to do with those who don't know how to deal with their issues or show their love? Absalom is so focused on his rejection that he missed God's direction. I'm going to say that again. Absalom is so focused on his rejection that he missed God's direction. Because, you know, rejection is a closed door. But God leads us through both closed doors and open doors. Absalom couldn't be king, but that didn't mean that God had no further plans for him. But Absalom wasn't looking for the open door. He wasn't looking for the will of God for his life. This incredibly gifted statesman, this 
this, this very talented young man. He was completely fixated through his rejection on the closed door, on the grief, on the injustice of everything that was going on. And so in the end, he decided that if God wouldn't open the door for him, he would make a way through it himself. And because he failed to deal with these things in his life, he no longer was in a state of faith. He was no longer trusting God for his future. He certainly was no longer trusting the king for righteousness. And he made the decision to take what he wanted his way. What an incredible change from the man we first met, who in a moment of great challenge and great grief took his sister in, showed great self-control, a man who exhibited all the kind of qualities we would want in a leader, and yet now is charging ahead and going to do everything wrong. The man who once cared about others and hated injustice and was smart and self-controlled now becomes self-centered, deceitful, foolish, and out of control. And his bizarre death, his bizarre death strangely kind of seems to illustrate the self-centered and pride-filled place that Absalom had come to. Let me read this to you. In 2 Samuel it says, Now Absalom, in the midst of the battle, happened to meet David's men, and he was riding his mule. And as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak tree, Absalom's beautiful hair got caught in the tree, and he was left hanging in mid-air. And the mule he was riding kept on going. Now when one of the men... Uh, belonging to Joab, saw what happened, he told Joab, hey, I just, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. And so then a, a short conversation takes place, and then Joab rides back over and kills Absalom. Now, this is so intriguing. Why did Absalom stay hanging in a tree? He was a soldier. He would have had a sword on him, or at the very least, he would have had a dagger he was hanging there for enough time for him to draw that and cut his hair off and free himself, but he didn't. Could it be that Absalom, caught up in his self-centeredness, refused to sacrifice his precious image, even though it was going to cost him his life potentially? Now, it may be hard for us to believe that someone could be that short-sighted, but Pastor Jim LaFoon, writing about Absalom, says, you know what? Countless men do the very same thing. He writes, a leader in a moral crisis who refuses to lose his shiny reputation in order to save his soul and ministry. Or the professional who is too arrogant to receive the help he needs to save his business. Or the man who is too proud to seek marriage counseling and so loses his marriage and his kids and half of his possessions. Or the person who is so proud of their busyness and their achievements that they neglect their own health until they lose it completely. He says, this type of pride has caught out many a man. Mm. Absalom's journey from possibly being one of the most suited men to inherit the throne to being a dishonorable, undermining murderer who tried to kill his own father is one that we must learn from. And so I want to say to every one of us today, here's some advice. In your life, don't get stuck in grief. And don't get stuck in injustice. And don't get stuck in rejection. Your potential will be realized when you focus on what you have instead of focusing on what you have lost. You've got to realize that your future blessings 
are all going to come out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. Secondly, your potential will be realized when you focus on justice, absolutely, but you have to give your injustices to God. Do what you can, but then you've got to entrust those things that you can't shift to the one who has promised that he will carry them on your behalf. And then get on with making a difference in the world like God has called you to do. And then thirdly, your potential will be realized when you focus on the open doors, not the closed doors. And we all have closed doors in our lives, I promise you. If you do that, you will find the Lord making a way into your future. God will give you the desires of your heart. But you need to shift your focus from what you've been shut out from to what God is opening up before you. I want to take a few minutes as we close today because I think there are a whole lot of us here that have somewhere aware on the line got stalled when our focus got stuck on something through very, very normal things. We all face this. And I, I think it's imperative for us to just make a little bit of time and space for us to deal with some of those things this morning. Can we all stand together just for a moment? You know, sometimes you have got to lay your burdens down. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4, Isaiah says, like the time you defeated Midian, talking about what, what Gideon did, like the time you defeated Midian, you have taken away their heavy load. And I think there are some people here today that are carrying a heavy load. And I think God wants to take away your heavy load today. He wants to shift your focus from what you've lost onto what you have. Because what He has for you in the future is dependent upon you not being mired and stuck in emotions that will rob you of your potential. Is it time for you to move on from grief that you've carried? a loved one that you have lost, a business opportunity that you always thought was from God, some hope, something, a brother or a sister who has passed away before their time, a son or a daughter that you lost at some point. Are you still carrying grief that continually sends you in a spiral? I believe God wants you to bring that to Him today and lay it down. Or maybe you're dealing with an injustice, something that should never have happened, should never have happened to you or to someone that you love, someone near you. But it's become a constant story in your life. It's become the reason why you can't now move on. It's the thing that's holding you back. This morning, would you, would you take your injustice and in faith, would you hand that over to God and take your hands off it? Allow God to deal with it and find a way to move on in the way that He has for you. And perhaps you're carrying rejection. Rejection from a parent, rejection from a husband or a wife, rejection from a friend, rejection, maybe even that you feel rejection from God. You know, some of us, we can, we can live with this place where we believe intellectually that God loves us, but we feel let down by God, we feel disappointed by God. Can you bring your rejection today and lay it on the altar and say, you know what, God, I'm no longer going to fixate on what was shut to me. I'm going to focus on what you are opening for me.
down the back on either side of our sand desk, we have a couple of boxes and they are full of rocks. You know, if God's speaking to you now, if God's doing something in your heart and, and maybe this is your moment, I tell you, my life was changed by moments like this. Hearing what God was doing and me seizing the moment, saying, you know what, God, I'm going to step forward prophetically. I'm going to do this. Something happens when we do that. If that's you, I want, to, I want you to just take a moment as we sing this next song, and I want you to go, you know what, I'm doing this. Go down the back and, and pick up a rock, and I want you to feel its weight. And using the power of your godly imagination, I want you to, to let all your rejection, all of your grief, all of your injustice, I want you to allow this rock to, to stand for all of that. And in your own time, I want you to come up and I want you to lay it on the altar and I want you to put it down and I want you to take your hands off it and I want you to say, God, I give this to you. Thank you for setting me free. God, I give this to you. Thank you for setting me free. Come on, we're going to sing now. And if that's you, I just, I cannot encourage you enough. Seize the moment. Seize the moment. Step out of faith. doesn't matter if no one else comes. I don't know if I brought this message today for one person, but if I brought this for one person, it's totally been worth it. But I think that there are probably more than one person today who need to lay some things down. Come on, let's get some freedom this morning.